You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. If you have your Bible, turn to First Timothy. We are continuing on in our series through First Timothy. We've um, been seeing God's uh, design for His church. We've seen in First Timothy. Uh, that it was written to, obviously, Timothy, and he uh, wrote this book because it was sent Timothy to Ephesus. Timothy was there in Ephesus and to address false doctrine, false teaching there in the church. They, we don't know what the false doctrine is. I have my speculation on what that, that false doctrine was. I'll share with that with you in just a little bit, but that'll be for free. But we saw, we see here in First Timothy, we've seen so far as we talk about the blueprints, God's design for the church. We've seen that the church is the community of true believers. That the community that the church is the community of true believers, that those in the church have to be part of the global church, knowing Christ as well as the local church. We've seen that the church is not a building, it's the people, it's not a place, it's not a nonprofit organization, it's people. It's a community of true believers. And we've seen that in all things, the church must be centered on the gospel, both as the corporate church, but also as the individual church. We must be centered on the gospel. That is why we are here. We are here to make disciples of all nations, to make Jesus known both here in our community and to the ends of the earth. We must know the gospel. The church must protect the gospel. We saw in 1 Timothy that the, the church is the buttress and foundation of truth. We live in a culture today that likes to tell us that truth is whatever we want it to be. And we saw that you and I individually, we cannot make truth whatever we want it to be. Because we each have our own biases, our own built-in biases. There has to be a source of truth, and that's Jesus Christ in the gospel scripture. And so we see that the church is to protect the gospel, to be founded on the truth, to proclaim the gospel in a very clear way. We've also seen not only what the church is, but we've seen how the church is designed to be led. We saw that in 1 Timothy 3, that the, that the church is being led by elders, pastors, overseers, a plurality of elders. We've seen the qualifications of elders. We see how the church is to be served by deacons, and we saw the qualifications of deacons. And, today, and then we saw the last couple of weeks how the church, local church is to be organized, organized by church membership. We talked about the qualifications last week of church membership. One, church membership, you have to be in the church to be a part of not just the global church, but be involved in the local church. We saw that that in Scripture, there's no scriptural basis for associate membership. It's not there. And so we've talked about membership. Well, today we're going to see a little bit more, okay, as we talk about the gospel— we talk about truth, how does that affect our lives? How are we to live that out? So look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says this, All who are under the yoke as slaves should regard their own masters as worthy of all respect, so that God's name and His teaching will not be blasphemed. Let those who have believing masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brothers, but serve them even better. 
since those who benefit from their service are believers and dearly loved. Teach and encourage these things. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes, arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. So we see here that Paul specifically first addresses slaves. Now, this is a often misinterpreted passage of Scripture. There's many today that would like to discredit the Bible and say, well, see, Paul was for slavery. Paul was okay with slavery, and so therefore the Bible can't be completely true. That is, that is an incorrect interpretation. See, in this culture there, to understand and interpret Scripture correctly, we must understand the cultural context in Scripture. If you remember in our State Line Institute that we had last fall when we talked about how to read the Bible for yourself, if you were in that class with me, we remember we said context, context, context. That context is king when we're interpreting Scripture. Well, Paul here, he is not writing this to address slavery. In this culture, in the Roman Empire, slaves was very, very common. In fact, nearly one out of two people in the Roman Empire were slaves at one point or another. So Paul's addressing a cultural issue, and he's saying to have a perspective, even if you're a slave, have a gospel perspective. We'll talk about what that, when we say gospel perspective, we'll talk about that in just a second. Well, then Paul goes on to, he addresses specifically these false teachers. Remember, the whole issue why Timothy is here in Ephesus is to help the dysfunctional church of Ephesus through false teachers. False teachers had infiltrated the church of Ephesus. They were spreading false doctrine about Christ And so Paul, in verse 3, as we just read, he specifically addresses false doctrine. Now, we don't know what this false doctrine was, but this is completely for free. This is not in Scripture. This is my own speculation. I I believe that one of the false doctrines that were being spread here in Ephesus was the doctrine of legalism. Now, you say, Adam, what is legalism? Legalism is basically the belief of of keeping rules in order to have a relationship with God. Okay, that's what legalism is. Keeping some kind of set of rules, and because I keep those rules, therefore I am right with God, or I have a relationship with God. You say, Adam, where do you see that in 1 Timothy? Well, in 1 Timothy 1, verse 9, Paul wrote that these, these false teachers don't understand the law, that they're interpreting it in a wrong way. It's the law of what? The law of Moses. It would have been very easy to turn the law of Moses into a set of, of rules to live by, and therefore we could, uh, an individual could, could think they are right with God or have a right relationship with God based on rules that can be put in place. So that's completely for free, but we don't know what the, the false doctrine these false teachers were spreading but Paul addresses, he says, that if, false doc- if anyone teaches false doctrine, verse 3, 
and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he's conceited, understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From those comes come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Just a few moments ago, I said that we, that we're talking about the slaves. Talking about slaves, that the slaves needed to have a gospel perspective. That no matter where we find in our lives, a believer must have a gospel perspective. We talked about a few weeks ago the need for the church to protect and to hold to truth to the gospel. Why is that so important? Why is spiritual truth? Why is the gospel, why is theology, why is doctrine so important? See, a lot of times when we think about theology and we think about doctrine, some of us can begin to kind of glaze over and fall asleep and think, okay, well, this doesn't really apply to my life. This is just some kind of heady science knowledge about God. I don't need this, and then we kind of shut down a little bit. No, but and that's we shouldn't uh, we should avoid that temptation. But when we think about God, what we think about God, what we believe about God is incredibly important. Because what you believe about God, what I believe about God, will dictate our actions. You see what happened here in Ephesus. You have these teachers spreading false doctrine, bad teaching about Jesus Christ, and look what it led to. People being conceited, interested in disputes, arguments over words, envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, constant disagreement among people. And so what happens is what we believe about God dictates our actions. Turn over to Genesis chapter 3. This has happened since the beginning of time. Turn over to Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, we see in Genesis 1 and 2, God created all things. He creates Adam and Eve. And then in Genesis 3, look at verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were, were open and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So we see Adam and Eve, the sin they committed in the Garden of Eden. What happened? When Satan was tempting Eve to disobey God, what did he attack? Her belief. 
and God, who God was. Satan tells Eve, is, did God really say? He's saying, is God holding out on you? He's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be like him. And so she, he attacked her belief about who God, was, who God is. Now, coming back over here to 1 Timothy chapter 6, the reason why it is so important that we follow good sound teaching, good doctrine, good theology, is that leads to what we believe about God. And so our, our actions, how we live our lives and how we act, always goes back to what we believe about God. We're going to talk more about this in just a second, but go, let's go down now to verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be con content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and, and many foolishness and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So going back to this idea, what we believe about God affects our actions. If you look at the end of verse 5, it says, who imagine, talking about the false teachers and those who are not following the truth, it says, who imagine that, imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. And so there was this idea, and honestly, here we are 2,000 years later, some things never change, right? This idea that if I am godly, if I follow after God, then I will reap some kind of financial benefit. If you turn on your TV, you can find all kinds of preachers and pastors that will tell you, if you love God, He will bless you financially, if you call this number, you will receive all millions of dollars. What that, what that is called is prosperity gospel. That therefore, if I am good, God will bless me with material things. And then that, that idea is, again, going back to what we believe about God affects our actions. What prosperity gospel is, it's believing that God is nothing more than Santa Claus is that if I am good, I'll be on the good list, then I'll get what I want for Christmas. That's a moralistic theology. That's, that's, that, that's prosperity gospel. And that's a misunderstanding about God. And Paul goes on to write to Timothy to instruct, to instruct these people not to be about, about physical wealth and money, but to be content. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. What does contentment mean? A lot of times we think about contentment as me, as someone who loves sports and played sports, contentment is a danger, right? If you're coaching a team, you do not want your team to sit back and be content, content just happy with how things are going. If you're in business and you're in, in, you're in sales, contentment, it's like, no, that's bad. You got to keep making sales. You got to keep advancing the, the company, keep moving, never be satisfied. 
So sometimes in our culture, when we hear contentment, whether it's sports, business, or just in general life, we can think of contentment as a bad thing. But as we're talking about contentment here in 1 Timothy 6, contentment is really just resting in the goodness of God. So Paul goes on to say, if we have food and clothing, we should be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation. So if we are all about money, if we are all about material things, materialism, that's just a branch, that is just a symptom of the root cause. If we are materialistic, if we are discontent, if we are selfish and are all about money or whatever else in life, what that root cause is, I don't believe that God is good. Contentment is resting in the goodness of God. We taught, he mentions here uh, up in verse 4, he talks about disputes and arguments over words. From these comes envy. Envy comes from the understanding of the lack of the goodness of God. Quarreling, slander, the added, that comes from a root cause of a misunderstanding that all people are created in the image of God. So we all of our actions are dictated what we believe about God. And then because of our belief about God, that will dictate our actions. That will also, that will also cause our worldview, how we view the world. That will cause us what lens, what perspective do we have on everything on life. It all goes back to that root of what do I believe about God. Paul then goes on down to verse 10. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, this is an interesting phrase. Because if we're not careful, we can even misinterpret this. We can have this idea that money is bad. Okay? Money is not bad. All right? Let me just say that. Money is not bad. If you do not have money, you cannot survive. Okay, you can't. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so again, going back to this idea, what we believe about God will even cause us to what what I believe about God will cause our actions and how do I view money? What do I believe about money? So money in and of itself is not evil. If you are here this morning and you are a multi-billionaire, Okay, I don't know if we have any like that, so I think I'm safe in saying that. If you're here this morning and you are a multi-billionaire, let me say this. Praise God for you. I'm not jealous. Throw some this way. No, I'm just kidding. But if you're a multi-billionaire, praise God for you. If you have the financial means to be comfortable Praise God for you. Don't let anyone guilt you into for having money. Don't let that happen. Sometimes we as Christians, we can be all about sacrifice, and we should be, but then what we end up doing is we end up putting people on guilt trips based on God's blessings in their lives. So if you have money and lots of it, don't let anyone make you feel guilty for that. 
if you don't have any money. That is not God's discipline on your life. But how we view money has to go back to what we believe about, excuse me, about God. That it's his. We, it goes back to what do we believe about God? What do we believe about the goodness of God? So if you have money, if God has gifted you and blessed you in that, use it for his glory. Use it to make Jesus known in the community and around the world. If God has blessed you, maybe not with money, but in any other kind of spiritual gift, use that spiritual gift that God has given you to make Jesus known in the community and to the ends of the earth. Because ultimately, it's not your gift, whether it's money, whether it's a prophecy, what Jessica read about for us in Romans, whatever your spiritual gift is, it's not yours to begin with. It's God's. Use it for his glory. And that is the beautiful thing about the church. Because the church is the true community of believers. And so as you have a true community of believers, a community of people, a faith family, none of us are the same. Aren't you glad for that? Because it would be really boring and it would be a lot of conflict. None of us are alike. So within the unity of the church, then that we're all believers of Christ, we're, we have diversity, a diversity of spiritual gifts. God has blessed each one of us in a different way. And we must believe what, who God is, how he's created us to be, and that will affect, uh, affect our actions, how we use that spiritual gift. Because at the end of the day, God is good. God is good. He is perfect. He is sovereign. And how he has blessed us, whether it's financially, whether it's physically, whatever it's intelligence, however God has blessed us, God ultimately goes back to his sovereign goodness in us, and we must use it for his glory because it's all about him anyway. If you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Christ. Let me encourage you that there is a life in a relationship with Christ that is not just all about you. I believe deep down, every one of us want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And as we come into the church through belief in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, we become a part of the church. We become part of the unity of the church, the diversity of the church, and we're plugged in and we serve together because hopefully we all hold to the true teaching of Jesus Christ. We hold to sound doctrine and believing who God is. And as we as a church are unified in what we believe about God, that will then affect how we act and we serve as the church. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for your church. We thank you that we are your bride and that you died for us. And God, I pray that we as the church, that you would bring us to a greater understanding of who you are. 
protect us from false doctrine, protect us from bad teaching, cultivate in us a correct knowledge of who you are so that we can live our lives in a way that brings glory to you, that makes you known. Cause our belief in you to grow so that as we live our lives out in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, that when people see us, they'll see you. But God, in order for us to be your representatives in this world, we have to know you. So we just ask for the grace and the ability to know you in a deeper way. We thank you that you are a God that is knowable, that you embrace a relationship. Though we are broken and we are sinful, you, you embrace us. You desire a relationship with us. We thank you for making that a possibility through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Thank you.